0: Thank you for that wonderful introduction, and it's it's a delight to be here again this evening. Pastor Robert's actually in Amarillo preaching at Trinity, and so we're we're swapping pulpits tonight. It's a delight to be back here with you. Let, let me say now, God put us together, uh, myself and also uh, Pastor Tom Lane and our church in Amarillo, along with Gateway Church, and the Lord has uh, connected my heart to Pastor Robert's heart. I very, very much believe in Gateway Church, and... The reason that I'm here tonight is because God God has really told me to invest in this church. And I just want to remind you one more time, that, and I say this every time I come, and I'm going to probably say it every time I come, so just get used to it. There's a special call on Pastor Robert, and there's a special call on this church to reach the Dallas Metroplex. My family all lives in Dallas, uh, except for my daughter and her husband, my son and his wife, my parents, my brothers, my wife's family, they all live in Dallas. We've been coming here for many years. When I come to Dallas, my heart aches. When I drive around the Dallas Metroplex, there, there are not enough churches in Dallas for the people who are here, and there are not enough good churches in Dallas, Texas. And I'll tell you one thing. Dallas needs a church that would shake this place, that would shake the Metroplex and bring hundreds of thousands of souls to Christ. Dallas is a strategic city. This is a place that God wants and it's a place the devil wants and God is going to have Dallas, Texas. And uh, I know that I'm supposed to pastor in Amarillo for the rest of my life, but I also know that we are supposed to invest in this church to see many, many, many thousands of people come to Christ to be a part of this wonderful church. And so we we believe that these are these are humble beginnings, you know, in in this church and and, uh, you know, starting small, but my Bible says, despise not the day of small beginnings. And uh, many, many wonderful, powerful things that happened ha- happened and began very small. This will become a very, very large and great church that will shake the Metroplex and shake the world. And we're just honored to be a part of it. I have a very important message to bring to you tonight. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 10, this, this is a message... I wouldn't necessarily call it my life message, but I would certainly say it is a message that has impacted my own life as much as any I've ever preached, and kind of flows from my own personal experience, and this message is called Battlefield Golgotha, and uh, for those of you, I know some of the people are here tonight from my church in Amarillo, and this is a repeat for those of you who have been there, so act interested, please, for the sake of those who are, haven't heard it before. But... Battlefield Golgotha. When Jesus died, He died in a place called Golgotha. And it means the place of a skull. It looks like a human skull. I've been to Israel, and uh, if you stand on the Temple Mount in Israel and look north, you see Golgotha. You know, when Jesus reigns for a thousand years in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, He will be reigning just a few hundred yards away from where He died. And literally, when you stand on the Temple Mount and you look north, you see this eerie picture of a human skull. Golgotha looks like a skull. You see the eye sockets, you see the head, you see the mouth, and you see everything. And on the day that Jesus died, the cross was placed prominently in the top of a human skull. Now that's not an accident. God God set that whole thing up. It could have been a hill called an arm, or a hill called a foot, or a hill called a nose, anything else. But it was a hill called the skull or the place of a skull. And I'll tell you why it was called the place of a skull. Jesus came to redeem our minds. He came to set our minds free. In Genesis chapter 3, when Satan attacked Adam and Eve, he attacked their thought life. Man was taken captive in their minds. And we are never set free until our minds are set free. Now you can be here tonight and on your way to heaven because you ask Jesus in your heart and he's Lord of your life, but understand this, you can be on your way to heaven and live the rest of your life in bondage. Just, just because you're on your way to heaven doesn't guarantee that the minute you get saved that all of your problems go away. Now am I telling the truth tonight? It's the truth. Is that even though salvation is an event and our eternity is sealed in an instant of time, Our freedom is gained inch by inch. And I'll tell you how it's gained, thought by thought. That's what the Bible says. That's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about winning the battle in your minds because that's where the battlefield is. You'll never be free until your mind is free. And that's what Golgotha demonstrates. Jesus died to set us free from the deception and from the lies of the devil. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to read three scripture texts ...quickly tonight and talk about them, explaining this issue of our minds and being set free in our minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, Though we walk in the flesh, Paul says, We do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ in being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, there are several points that Paul makes here. And the first is there's an invisible war going on around us. There is a spiritual reality around us tonight. If, If our eyes could be open and we could see in this sanctuary the way that God can see, I believe that we would see angels. I believe that there are angels here tonight. The reason I, believe, I, the reason I know that there are angels here tonight is because there's children in the building. And even if we somehow have lost ours, they still have theirs. And so if, if, we could, if we could see in the Spirit, we would see angels, we would probably see some demonic presence. Demons trying to come and steal, kill, and destroy. And Paul is saying, though we're walking in a body of flesh, our warfare is not a fleshly warfare. Our warfare is in the spirit realm and it's a, it's in a battle of thoughts. The war is fought, this invisible war that we're in tonight is fought with our thought life. That's why Romans 8 says the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Wherever we set our minds tonight, it determines if we live in victory. The mind set on the flesh, on our fallen nature, and just on the fleshly pleasures of life, it means death. You're going to die. But when we set our mind on the realm of the spirit, and we begin to enter into the promised land of the spirit that Jesus has for us, we can be set free. It all depends on your thoughts. I want—I don't want to remind you of something. Jesus, in Matthew chapter four, it says that Jesus had fasted for forty days, and at the end of the forty days, that Satan came to him, not a demon, not an archangel. Not a principality, not a power. Satan himself came to Jesus, and he attacked Jesus. And what did he attack Jesus Christ with? Thoughts. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. If you're the Son of God, turn that stone into bread. If you're the Son of God, he attacked him with thoughts. What did Jesus attack Satan with? God's thoughts. That's all this Bible is. It's the thoughts of God. And Jesus took the sword of the Spirit, and He lifted it against Satan. And if Satan himself attacked the Son of God with thoughts, and the Son of God won that battle with thoughts, who do we think we are? Do we think that the nature of the battle in our lives is somehow different than the nature of the battle in Jesus' life? I want you to know that every day when you wake up, according to the Word of God, you are entering into a battlefield. And the battlefield is the battlefield of your mind. This is where the war is fought. That is what Satan is after. Every single day, he's coming at your thought life. He's constantly running thoughts at you. And he knows your particular weaknesses. And we don't all have the same weaknesses, but we all have vulnerabilities. Men have certain vulnerabilities. Women have certain vulnerabilities. Let me just talk about it for just a minute. These, these invisible wars that are going on. Francis Frangipan says a bondage is a house of thoughts. If you look at any bondage in your life, that bondage in its essence is not a physical bondage. It is a mental bondage or a spiritual bondage. And let me just give you some examples here that I've listed. One would be lust. Lust is a mental bondage. Let me let me just give you an example. When I was a young man growing up, on the block that I lived on, we were pretty typical people, but we did have one neighbor friend of ours, and his father went to prison when he was about 12 or 13. His father went to prison, and his father was a pretty ungodly man, and he took Playboy magazines. Now, at 12 years old, I had never even heard of sex. I honestly had not. I, I had ne- the concept of sex had just never dawned on me until one day he brought a Playboy magazine down to the group of boys that we were playing with, and he showed us this Playboy magazine, and I looked at the magazine, and it just, you know, it started the hormones going, I guess. And I just remember looking at that, and I was aroused. I mean, I looked at it, and I thought, there's a naked woman. I've never seen that before. And every month, he would bring those Playboys down for years, and we looked at those Playboys. Well, that began, you know, the, the attraction to that type of material, and when I got into college, I saw horrible things in college. My brother... Uh, was a a member of a fraternity, and I lived with him. I graduated early from high school and went down and lived with my brother in college, and oh, goodness gracious, the things that I saw in college were just terrible. Well, then Karen and I got married, and I had implanted within my mind all this nonsense that I had seen, And, and, and pornography, by the way, is just satanic sex education. That's all it is. And so my sex education had come from the devil, and I was just set up for many problems, in marriage and so just just problems in, in period well it was lust it was it was attraction to that type of material well when i was 19 years old a week before i got uh, married i received christ as my savior now when i got saved i got totally saved but it didn't it didn't deal with my lust issue even though i was saved and totally committed to god i still dealt with the lust issue and uh, i believe that uh, you know 95 percent of men deal with lust the other five percent are pathological liars and, and so I dealt with that issue of lust, and I hated it. I hated it about myself. I, I just tried everything in the world to keep myself from thinking those, those kind of thoughts, the cold showers, casting demons out of myself, uh, avoiding all the materials that I knew were wrong, but it, it still didn't change things. I mean, some things helped a little bit, but let me tell you what, what stopped instantly to a screeching halt, stopped the lust issue in my life. We went on vacation, and we stayed in a, a cabin in the mountains. And I, I just I was really just battling that and just so tired of it. Never fell, I was not addicted to pornography, never committed adultery on my wife, anything like that. It was just an internal struggle. And thank God that it wasn't in the day of the Internet and things like that. And so I remember there was a little pamphlet on the table of the, in the cabin that we were staying at And and my eyes were just attracted to it, and I picked it up. It was called Biblical Meditation. And the man who wrote the book was a a seminary president. And he told his story about how he sold pornography out of his basement when he was a boy growing up. It's kind of the way he funded, I guess, all of his activities, is he and his friends sold pornography out of his basement. And as a seminary president, all through his, his childhood growing up, and now as a seminary president... He said that all of his life he had been addicted to pornography until he learned to meditate on the Bible. And as soon as he learned to take his thoughts captive and to meditate on the Bible, he said the lust issue in my life stopped immediately. And I put that book down and I thought, you know, I have been dealing with this on a physical level. I thought that lust was a physical thing. It's not a physical thing. It's a mental thing. You cannot overcome... I'm talking to all the men in here right now. You cannot overcome lust until you overcome it in the battlefield of your mind, period. In my 20s, I learned that lesson. and that lesson, as soon as I began to take my thoughts captive and meditate upon the Bible instantly... It stopped the lust. I'm not saying I haven't lusted since. I'm not saying there's never been another battle. I'm saying when I enter that battlefield and Satan comes against me with those thoughts, I know exactly what to do. And it's not take cold showers, and it's not cast demons out of yourself, and it's not go through all kinds of cycles of condemnation and confession and all those things that don't work. What works is taking your thoughts captive. That's what the Bible says. Though we walk in the flesh, we're not warring according to the flesh. And some of you ladies are here, and you're just thinking, oh, that grosses me out. He's talking about pornography and all that stuff. Well, you ladies, though, can understand soap operas, romance novels, Sir Hunk-A-Lot, all that kind of stuff. It's the same nonsense, just in a different package. Satan comes to you, and he attacks your thought life. Uh, He attacks your thought life with romantic lies that makes you despise normal men. He attacks you with fear. Women are given to fear. And Satan comes, fear about your children, fear about money, fear about the future, fear about this, fear about this. And fear literally, for women, can have a physical presence about it. Fear just grips your entire body. And you say, how do I overcome this fear? You have to take every thought captive. The battlefield is the battlefield of your mind and you'll never win the battle over worry, fear, lust, All these things that are going on until you enter into the battle that is going on in your mind and you understand it's an invisible battle. The second thing is God has equipped us with mighty weapons to overcome every stronghold of the enemy. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, "...the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds." You know, listen... I know you don't feel powerful enough to overcome the things that are that are bothering you. I know you've got something bothering you tonight. I mean, I, you look like very nice people, but I know I know you've got problems. I know you're messed up. You know what I mean? I've told you I was messed up. I'm just saying, I know you're messed up somewhere. Doesn't mean you don't love God. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. I just know you're messed up somewhere. But I want you to know God's got a weapon to get you unmessed up. The weapons of God, it says, are mighty in God. And I'll tell you the thing I like about the mighty in God part. They're not mighty in me. They're mighty in God. And if I'm struggling with lust or struggling with fear or struggling with worry or struggling with something else, I don't have to be mighty. They're mighty in God. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. If you try to solve that problem in the flesh, you'll never solve it. Let me give you one other example of how God set me free. I smoked. When I started smoking when I was about 15 years old and when I was about 24 years old or something like that, 24, or 25, I was a born-again Christian, I was a spirit-filled Christian, but when I had my quiet times, I would smoke two or three or eight cigarettes. I liked it. I was not a smoker who didn't like it. I was a smoker who liked it. I liked to smoke. But I remember the day that God just spoke to me and said, smoke Marlboros. And I not not the light kind, the regular kind. And... <laughs> I remember I remember the day that I was having a quiet time and the Lord said, Jimmy, if I'm going to take you further, you've got to stop smoking. I tried everything. I mean, I tried everything in the world to stop smoking and I never could. And the day that I stopped smoking, I was having a quiet time smoking my cigarette there and I I just felt so defeated. This is before all the little nicotine patches and all that stuff. And I put, that, I put a cigarette out and I said, Holy Spirit, I feel totally defeated. I just don't believe that I can stop smoking. He said, from this day forward, you say, I am a non-smoker. Every time you're tempted, I want you to say, I am a non-smoker. That day I went to work and of course I knew everyone at work and I had to go on a delivery. I was in the appliance business. I had to go on a delivery to New Mexico. And I got into the car with the guy, and he had smoked with me a zillion times. We both smoked. And we got in the car together on our way to New Mexico, and we went 10 miles, and he noticed that I wasn't smoking. And so he said, oh, you need a cigarette? And put him over. That's what people do when they notice you're not smoking. Hey, you want a cigarette? And threw one right in my face. I said, and I looked at him. I said, I'm a non-smoker. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He said, what? I saw you smoking yesterday. And I said, well, that was yesterday. Today, I'm a non-smoker. I quit. I never smoked again. The only thing wrong with me was I could not imagine myself as a non-smoker until I took my thoughts captive and began to confess what the Holy Spirit told me to confess. And as soon... I thought it was a physical thing. I thought it was a physical appetite. But it wasn't, folks. It's the way I thought. Overeating, normally, typically. It's the way we think about food. Drinking, it's the way you think about it. Sexual addictions, all those things. It's the way you think. If you don't dismantle your thought life, you're always dealing with the symptom and you never get to the cause. Though we walk in the flesh, we don't walk war according to the flesh. But the weapons that we have are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, plural. It means any strongholds you have. God has designed a weapon for your stronghold and the weapon is always a weapon of His Word. This is something that the Bible says, but but listen to this. God's dealing in your life to set you free, to set me free, is conditional upon us submitting our minds. I think that there are several things that are very difficult for people to submit. One is their money. I think that's very difficult. Another is their mouth. And I'm preaching a series on that in Amarillo. Praise the Lord I'm preaching it in Amarillo. The other one is their minds. I think it's extremely difficult for people to really, truly submit their minds. But until we submit our minds to God, we'll never be free. Listen to what Paul says here. 2 Corinthians 10, "...the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity." to the obedience of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Who who is it now that casts down the arguments and brings every thought into captivity before Christ? It's you. You're the only person. God cannot take your thoughts captive. You know something else? Satan actually cannot take your thoughts captive. God can appeal to your mind. Satan can introduce a thought into your mind. You are the custodian and the doorkeeper of your thought life. You and you alone decide what comes into your mind and what does not come into your mind. You and you alone decide what stays in your mind and what doesn't stay into your mind. That's you're you're the custodian of it. And Paul says we don't we we walk in the flesh, but we don't war according to the flesh because the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful to destroy all those all the strongholds and everything in our mind. Well, how does that happen? We cast down arguments. Everything that argues with this. We cast it down from our minds, and we're taking every thought captive, every single thought captive the obedience of Christ. Here's here's what I heard one time. Any thought you don't take captive will take you captive. In fact, I'll say this tonight. Where you're struggling in your life is where you're unsubmitted in your thoughts. I promise. I guarantee it. I struggled in the area of lust. I struggled in the area of smoking. I struggled in those areas. Every single one of those areas, when I go back into my life, I struggled in my marriage. Every area where I was struggling, every single one was revealed over time to be an area where I had things in my mind that had exalted themselves against the knowledge of God. You and you alone are the person who is responsible for casting down arguments. Let me say this. The only way you can settle an argument is to agree on who's right. That's the only way you can do it. And he's right. Let me say this to you, and I want you to listen to me tonight. I've spent 20 years counseling Christian people. And counseling Christian people over a lot of very serious problems. I've counseled a lot of people who are wonderful, committed Christians and things like that. Let me tell you the common denominator of every single person I have counseled who has not been helped. They argue with this. They come in and have a bad marriage, and I begin to read this to them, and they begin to argue with it. Their money is just a nightmare, and they're having money problems, and I read what this says, and they argue with it. They're, They're having problems with relationships. They're having problems with whatever. And I read this to them, and they begin to argue with it. You've got to decide tonight who is going to settle the arguments for the rest of your life. If it's going to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist or some other professional or expert or something like that, I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to live your life confused. Because they're always changing their minds. In my opinion, the only person in the universe qualified to settle every argument in my life is Jesus Christ. And it says, my responsibility, if I'm going to be set free, is to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The word obedience there is the word hupakoe in the Greek, and it means to listen underneath. It literally means that every thought that comes into my mind, I am responsible to make it bow its knee and listen to Jesus. Every thought. You bow your knee before you come into my life. You spirit of fear, before I allow you into my life, you're going to bow your knee to Jesus and listen to Him. And if He says you're not right, you're not right, and I cast you down. I bring you into obedience before Christ. You, you have got to take your thoughts captive. If you will not take your thoughts captive, you are an open target for Satan. In fact, if you're a person who has an unsubmitted mind, you are no challenge whatsoever to any demon from hell that wants to take you in bondage. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I'm just saying you're going to live a bad life till you get there. And you're going to wonder why you can't be set free. And you're going to wonder why the Word of God doesn't work for you. And you're going to wonder why other people are blessed when you're so miserable. It's because your thought life is unsubmitted. The cross of Jesus Christ was stuck in the top of a human skull. And when His blood was shed, it dropped right on the top of a human skull, signifying That Jesus Christ came to set us free. That's why in John 8, Jesus says, If you abide in My Word, you're My disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and that truth will make you free. If you abide in My Word, and the word there, abide, means to live, to stay, to reside in My Word. Now, so I'm telling you tonight that the war that's going on in your life, you name your problem, there is a war of thoughts, built around that area of your life. Francis Frangipan, a bondage is a house of thoughts. And I submit to you tonight that the areas that you struggle in, there is a thought system built around those areas. And the only way that you're going to get set free is to begin to tear it down. How do you do it? This is the sword of the Spirit. Jesus Christ, after 40 days of fasting, after 40 days of fasting, you you can't imagine how how weak your mind would be How weak your body and emotions would be after 40 days of not eating food. How weak would you be? And Satan used that moment to attack him. And in his moment of weakness, Satan attacked him and Jesus pulled a nuclear weapon. The Word of God. Hebrews 4. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between the soul and the spirit, the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is a nuclear weapon in the spirit realm. The devil wants you to lay it on your coffee table and let it collect dust. Jesus said that the Word of God is more important than food itself. Because when Satan came to tempt him to turn the stone into bread, he says, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You've got to see this as being your life source. The sword of the Spirit. Quicker than anything in the world. In a nuclear weapon. In the realm of the Spirit. You name your problem and there is a sword to overcome that enemy in your life, but you've got to pull it on him. And let me close by telling you how to do that. Let me talk about biblical meditation for just a minute. Psalm 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. But in everything he does, he prospers. Let me tell you what the Bible is for just a minute. And I want you to listen to me. I'm almost finished. You know, in computer language, there there's hardware and there's software. I just bought a new computer back at home. I'm, I'm, I like computers. 1.7 gigahertz processor. It's awesome. <laughs> 60, 60 gig hard drive. It's really an awesome computer. Well, so... There's hardware and software. Hardware is the machine. Software is Microsoft and all that kind of stuff. The the programs that run it. See, you can have an awesome computer and bad software and it doesn't work. Let me just tell you something about you just a minute. Your hardware is awesome. Men are sending spaceships into outer space. They're splitting atoms. They're curing diseases. You have got some awesome hardware up here, but your software is really messed up. You've got viruses. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be reprogrammed by this. Biblical meditation is taking the Word of God and putting it into your mind and thinking about it over and over during the day, especially those times when you're being attacked and Satan is trying to take advantage of you. And as you put scripture into your mind, meditation just simply means to ruminate. Like a cow will take a cut in its mouth and swallow it and bring it up and swallow it and bring it up. A sheep does the same thing. A sheep has five stomachs. It continues to ruminate until it refines what it's chewing. It's exactly the word that's used for meditation in the scriptures. You take a scripture and you put it into your mind and you read what you need. If you're dealing with lust, find scriptures about sexual purity. If you're dealing with fear, Second Timothy 1.7, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and self-control. You read what you need. Where are you struggling? Get a sword. Put it in there. And every time a bad thought comes, you can't take thoughts out of your mind, but you can replace them with more powerful thoughts. And you're you're sitting at a stoplight and a bad thought comes into your mind. But that morning you woke up and you have a scripture that's down there in your spirit and a bad thought comes into your mind. The instant that thought comes into your mind, you bring that scripture up into your mind and you crowd that bad thought out and you put scripture into your mind. Satan comes with an evil thought, you counter it with the word of God. You win 100% of the time. And not only do you win, but in the process of the struggle, you reprogram your mind and eliminate every virus that's there. God's Word transforms your mind. Everything He does prospers. Why? Because when you meditate on God's Word day and night, it reprograms your mind. You begin to think like God thinks. In Deuteronomy, God came to Moses and He says, Moses, I want you to command the children of Israel to teach their children the Word of God four times a day. Okay, When you say... meditate on the word of God day and night, you're saying, Jimmy, that's just not practical. I'm I'm a human being. I've got a life. Well, let me tell you how it works. It's real simple. God told the children of Israel four times during during the day, every day, to teach their children the word of God. When they rose up in the morning, when they were sitting around their house, when they were on their way somewhere, and when they laid in bed at night, those are the four times of the day when your mind is meditative and Satan attacks it. When you're sitting around your... See, when I'm I'm busy working, I never struggle with my thought life. If you told me, you know, put this model together or something like that, or or when I'm playing golf, I don't struggle with my thought life except for golf, the issue of golf itself. When I'm busy with a task, my mind doesn't... I don't have a problem with my mind. But when I'm riding in my car, when I'm sitting around, when I'm laying in bed at night, you wake up in the middle of the night and you start worrying. You wake up in the morning and you just sit there and you're just thinking, that's when the devil attacks your mind. And God in His wisdom said four times a day, I want you to turn to the Word of God when you're laying in bed at night, when you're laying in bed in the morning, when you're sitting around your house and when you're on your way somewhere. Did you know something? You you tell some people you really need to get into the Word and they say I don't have time. You would be shocked how much time you have. This is what I do. I'll be somewhere. And when I get in my car, a lot of times I don't listen to the radio. I don't don't listen to music or anything like that. If I listen to any music or anything, it's praise music. I don't listen to crud. And, uh, you know, country western songs about, you know, killing your cat and losing your wife and all that kind of stuff. I I get in my car and I sit there and I think. And I think about the Word of God. I think about stories. I think about things I don't understand. And I just sit there and think. Every sermon I've ever preached comes from meditating on the Word of God. People say, how do you understand the Bible? I don't. When I read the Bible, this is such a difficult book to me until I meditate. And I will take a scripture that I absolutely do not understand, and I load it into my mind, and I begin to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show me what that means. I'm sitting in an airport, and people may think I'm strange, but I just sit there. And I'll just be looking. And I'll just be, my eyes are wandering or whatever. But what I'm doing is I'm taking that time and rather than worrying or doing something wrong with my mind or just letting it just sit there and go where it wants, I guide it and I let it sit there and meditate on Scripture. Whatever Scripture it is that I'm, I'm meditating on at that moment, always have one loaded in my spirit. It's the secret of living in victory. And if you walk through every day with your mind unsubmitted and without Scripture prepared to meditate upon, you're a sitting duck and you will live the rest of your life defeated. But regardless of how weak and defeated you are here tonight, some of you men are dealing with lust. Some of you ladies here are dealing with fear or worry or or bitterness or something else. I just want you to know that Satan has mapped you. He knows your weaknesses and he's going to attack you but He's going to attack your thoughts. But God has given you a powerful weapon. And the specific application of that weapon is to submit your mind to the Lord and to bring His Word into your mind as the final arbiter between what is right and wrong. And if you argue with this about your marriage, if you argue with this about money, if you argue with this about relationships, if you argue with this about morals, if you argue with this about spiritual issues or child discipline issues or anything like that you're gonna lose because this is the nuclear weapon everything else doesn't work these are the thoughts of God everything else are just the thoughts of a person and so tonight I know that I know that some of you are here and you can relate to what I'm talking about it may be a an eating problem or smoking or or lust or fear or something in your life we all have issues And I want you to know that Jesus came and died on Golgotha to set you free. But until that freedom takes place right here, you're not free. But when it takes place here, you're free indeed. Bag your heads with me if you would. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come here tonight. And I invite you, Lord, to come into our minds. Satan is attacking our thoughts, God, with with fear, with worry, with bad thoughts and dirty thoughts. And every day our mind is being barraged by misinformation and deception. But Jesus, you told us that if we would abide in your word, that we would know the truth, and that truth would make us free. But we have to take our thoughts captive. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come upon every man and woman and child in here right now and I pray that you would reveal what areas of our mind are unsubmitted. Now just keep your head bowed there if you would. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you there for just a minute about about what issues He has with you tonight. Just make it clear, Holy Spirit. And as he does that, I want you to consider, is Jesus really the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of your thought life? Does he really have the right to tell you what can come and what can't come? What can stay and what can't stay? if you would just be honest as he speaks to you tonight and be willing to submit your thoughts he would set you free and some of you are in here and you you just hate yourselves you hate your weaknesses you hate the sins that you keep going back to you just hate yourself that's what the devil wants but God loves you And His grace is extended to you tonight. No matter how much you've fallen or failed, He loves you. And He has sent His Word to heal you and to deliver you from all of your destructions. Holy Spirit, I pray You'd come tonight and set us free from the thoughts and the lies and the deceptions in our minds that some of us have even had since childhood. We take our thoughts captive tonight to the obedience of Jesus Christ, to listen, to obey, and we surrender our minds tonight to the power of God and to the Word of God. Now I want to just keep your head bowed there and your eyes closed for just a minute. I want to—I just want to give you an opportunity.